There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Donna Knight was looking forward to her upcoming September wedding in the fall of 1979. It had been months in the planning. And it was going to be an extra special day because her big sister Lynn was coming home from California to be her maid of honor. Donna had already picked out a beautiful pale blue lace dress for Lynn to wear. The sisters, who had grown up in Stratford, Ontario, were very close. And when they got older, they had both gone to nursing school. Lynn, who many would say was the more adventurous of the two, had accepted an exciting new job near Los Angeles, California. At 28, the attractive neonatal nurse was enjoying the California sunshine and the laid-back lifestyle. On her days off, she would head to the beach where she enjoyed playing volleyball, surfing, and water skiing. As a natural tomboy, Lynn was good at any sport she pursued, and men soon took notice of the blonde athletic nurse. But while she was soaking up her new Southern California lifestyle, Lynn missed her family and always kept in contact with her parents and siblings back in Stratford. And with the wedding coming up in a few weeks, the sisters were in constant contact. So when Donna, the bride-to-be, hadn't heard from Lynn for a few days, she became worried. Donna and her concerned parents tried calling Lynn's home, but got no answer. It just wasn't like Lynn not to be in touch. From their home in Stratford, the Knights reached out to the California police. It was August 29th, a warm summer evening, when two police officers on night patrol arrived at a tiny studio apartment behind another larger home on Anza Avenue in the beachside Los Angeles suburb of Torrance, California. Dispatch radioed a possible disturbance at the address. A neighbor had called 911, saying he heard screams coming from the home. Who lives there? asked the 911 operator. Lynn Knight, said the concerned neighbor. Knocking on the front door, the officers could not hear anyone inside. They called out. Still, no reply. Checking the door, they discovered it was unlocked. Strange, thought the policeman, 
It was 2 a.m. in the morning. Would a woman living on her own leave her door unlocked? They decided to enter the darkened house. Right away, they noticed an overturned chair in the entranceway. They called out again. Still, nothing. Moving further into the small cottage using their flashlights, they saw more disarray. Then, they spotted something on the floor. Bloody footprints leading towards another closed door at the back of the house. The officers drew their guns. What had they just walked into? Opening the bedroom door, they could make out a figure lying on top of an unmade bed. Switching on the wall light, they were immediately confronted with a horrific sight. It was the lifeless body of a naked woman covered in blood. It looked like she had been stabbed multiple times and her throat was cut. But moving closer, the officers spotted something else on the bed. It was covered in blood and it looked like some type of homemade weapon. It was something neither police officer had ever seen before. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of a grisly murder. A beautiful Canadian nurse is viciously attacked in her California home, and the killer has left a unique weapon behind. But would such a bizarre piece of evidence lead investigators to a killer? Years turn into decades, but a woman in Canada refuses to give up the hunt for her sister's killer. A newly formed cold case team will eventually agree to review the case. But after 30 years, is there any hope of justice? This is A Sister's Love, The Murder of Lynn Knight. It was the lifeless body covered in blood. It's dead after being stabbed to death. It must be dead at the scene. When homicide detectives Emilio Perels and Gary Hilton arrived at the crime scene on Anza Avenue, they were shocked by the grisly scene they had discovered. A woman had been stabbed over a dozen times and had deep cuts on her neck. She was soon identified as 28-year-old Lynn Knight, a nurse at one of the local hospitals. Lying close to the body, police discovered a mysterious object. Two small pieces of wood that had been sawed off from what looked like a broomstick with a twisted wire strung between the pieces of wood. One of the detectives immediately knew what it was, having only ever seen one as a soldier in Vietnam. It was a homemade garrote a sinister device used to strangle someone. It looked like the killer had tried to murder Lynn with the garrote, but when she fought back, he stabbed her to death. This was overkill, and for the seasoned detectives, that meant one thing. This murder was personal. Lynn's wallet and keys were missing and the police later discovered a pendant and clasp for a necklace Lynn had been wearing. 
but the chain had been ripped off her neck. Looking around the small bungalow, Detective Gary Hilton found blood smears that appeared as though they had been left by someone wearing gloves. But this being 1979, before the advent of DNA, the blood evidence would not prove helpful. At that time, fingerprints were the most useful forensic tool, but there were no prints found on the homemade garrote. Whoever had killed Lynn had carefully planned the attack. It appeared as though Lynn had someone over for dinner that night, judging by the dishes and the wine glasses left out. Detective Hilton also found a crumpled piece of paper in a wastebasket. It was a wedding invitation, but he didn't think much of it at the time. Because not long after being called out to the murder scene, the police already had a lead. The neighbor who had called 911 to report the screams had seen a man running down the street close to Lynn's apartment. The man was described as tall with dark curly hair. It wasn't long before a patrol car nearby spotted the same suspect. He was quickly apprehended and taken in for questioning. He appeared to have blood on him. The 23-year-old man claimed he did not know Lynn Knight and knew nothing about her murder. The police searched his home and found nothing that connected him to Lynn. And the blood on his hands turned out to be paint and dirt. The police were back to square one in their investigation. They soon discovered that an ex-boyfriend named Joe Giarusso had been to Lynn's apartment that night. He claimed that the two had dinner together and then he left around midnight and was in bed with his new girlfriend around the time Lynn was murdered. But the police noticed he had some small cuts on his hands. Cuts, he said, had happened at work. Joe and his current girlfriend both agreed to take a polygraph test, which they both passed. The police weren't willing to eliminate him as a suspect completely. But there had been other men in Lynn's life, and investigators needed time to track them down. Whoever attacked her had a grudge and made sure she was dead. It was a sunny fall day in September when 28-year-old Lynn Knight was laid to rest in her hometown of Stratford, Ontario. The Knight family were to have gathered for a much different purpose later that month to celebrate Donna Knight's wedding. But now, their precious daughter Lynn was being buried in the dress she would have worn as her sister's maid of honor. The family would never recover from their grief. Two weeks later, Donna Knight, her brother and father arrived in California. They had the grim task of clearing out Lynn's apartment. It was a crime scene that bore the bloody evidence of Lynn's terrifying last moments. Packing up her sister's belongings, Donna discovered her wedding invitation crumpled in a garbage can. She knew Lynn would have never thrown out the invitation. But maybe someone else had. Someone who was angry that he was not coming to the wedding. 
Donna Knight told the police that her sister had dated several men since moving to California, but had recently broken up with a guy she planned to bring to the wedding. According to Donna, Lynn told her that he was upset about the breakup, even though they had only dated a few months. His name was Douglas Bradford. The police decided to investigate Bradford. They soon learned that the shy engineering student lived with his parents not far from Lynn Knight's home. Lynn and Doug had met while skiing, and apparently Doug had been much more serious about the relationship than Lynn. But when told about her death, the police noticed that Douglas didn't seem too upset and immediately began speaking of Lynn in the past tense. He was cooperative with the police and told them he had been out sailing alone on the night of Lynn's murder. Sailing? The police thought that was odd. Who would go out sailing on the Pacific Ocean alone at night? Doug Bradford was an expert sailor, and a check at the Long Beach Yacht Club confirmed that he had signed out a 30-foot sloop that night. But for the police, it still didn't make any sense. Bradford claimed he had taken the boat out around 10.30 that night under sail, and when the winds died down, he was forced to paddle the boat back to shore since it did not have a motor. He said he did not get home until after 3 a.m. that morning. No one could confirm seeing Bradford at the marina that night, but neighbors of Lynn told police that they had seen him driving by Lynn's apartment days before her murder in his distinctive orange-colored 280Z Datsun. The police obtained a warrant to search the car, but found no evidence linking Bradford to the murder. In fact, the car was suspiciously spotless. The detectives were convinced Douglas Bradford had been stalking Lynn Knight and had murdered her in a jealous rage. But the district attorney for Los Angeles County refused to lay charges, saying there wasn't enough evidence tying Bradford directly to the murder. There simply was no smoking gun. The police continued their investigation into Bradford, who had since hired a lawyer. But the district attorney's answer remained the same. The evidence was too circumstantial. After three years, the case went cold. Detectives Hilton and Perels eventually retired, and the Knight family in Stratford were left to move on with their lives without their beautiful daughter and sister. In the years that followed, Lynn's sister Donna remained focused on keeping the murder investigation going. She wrote letters, called detectives, lobbied politicians, and emailed California newspapers to push for the case to be reopened. She even wrote a letter to then-President Ronald Reagan. She was not prepared to give up on bringing her sister's killer to justice. But time marched on. Finally, two decades later, in 1997, when the Torrance Police Department opened a cold case unit, Lynn Knight's case was reopened. When veteran detective Jim Wallace reviewed the 1979 case, 
he was shocked by the brutality of the crime. Lynn Knight had died a horrible death. He refocused his attention on ex-boyfriend Douglas Bradford. He seemed to be the only man in Lynn's life that held any kind of animosity towards her, and his alibi about going out sailing alone on the night of the murder was suspicious. No one had ever verified his whereabouts that night. But for Detective Wallace, Douglas Bradford hardly seemed like a cold-blooded killer. In the years that had passed since the murder, the shy, soft-spoken engineer had married and had gone on to become a successful business owner. He seemed like your average guy next door, not a man who would fashion a homemade murder weapon to strangle a former girlfriend and then brutally stab her to death. Detective Wallace re-examined the homemade garrote that had been sitting in an evidence bag for almost 20 years. The weapon had been made with simple wooden dowels connected by a thin piece of wire, but the wire had been doubled for extra strength. Using new technology not available in 1979, the crime lab found minute specks of blue paint on the handles that the killer had sanded down. For Detective Wallace, it looked like the killer had used simple materials that were available to him. There was nothing high-tech about the weapon. And while decades had gone by, Wallace wondered if any of the items could still be lying around. At the time of Lynn Knight's murder, Douglas Bradford had been living with his parents. And while he had moved out years earlier, his elderly mother still lived in the home. In 2007, the Torrance police obtained two search warrants, one for Bradford's parents' home and one for his current residence. Needless to say, Bradford was surprised to see the police at his front door 28 years after Lynn Knight's murder. At his home, they found several legal firearms and several articles about polygraph tests. At the time of the murder, Bradford had refused to take a lie detector test. The police also found a manual on how to build a crossbow. For investigators, this indicated that Douglas Bradford had a unique fascination with building exotic weapons. Searching Doug Bradford's parents' home, the police discovered a number of old pieces of wood, including a blue broom handle tucked away in the garage. It seemed almost too good to be true. Could this be the exact piece of wood that Bradford had cut to make the dowels for the garage? It was sent away to a specialized crime lab in Chicago for comparison. If the wood matched, the police would finally have enough evidence to charge Douglas Bradford. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. On a wild hunch, cold case detectives had searched the home where Doug Bradford lived in 1979 when Lynn Knight was murdered. The homemade garage used to strangle Lynn had been made with two wooden dowels and a wire, simple materials that could be found lying around in a garage. And 28 years later, they had found a blue wooden broom handle in Doug Bradford's parents' garage that matched the dowels. It was the closest they had come to direct evidence tying Bradford to the murder. Was this their smoking gun? They waited. But when the test results came back, the blue broom handle and dowels used to make the garrote did not match. For Detective Wallace and Los Angeles County Deputy District Attorney John Lewin, it was a huge disappointment. Ten years of dedicated work on the Cole case, and now they were back to square one. But Detective Wallace was not prepared to give up. He knew Doug Bradford had killed Lynn Knight. He went through the evidence again, and this time he decided to focus on Bradford's questionable alibi. Was it possible that Doug could have been out sailing at night like he said he was? Detective Wallace spoke with dozens of experienced sailors, including some who belonged to the same boat club as Bradford. And they all said no one took a boat out at night. And without any wind, it would have been very difficult for Bradford to paddle a two-ton boat back to the marina on his own. Luckily, the yacht club still had their records from 1979, and the booking sheets 
showed that Doug Bradford had never reserved a boat at night before. He had a pattern of only reserving on weekends. Still, they couldn't put Bradford in Lynn's apartment on the night she was killed. DNA testing, which was now available, also did not yield any new information. Blood evidence and two semen samples taken from Lynn's body did not match Doug Bradford. Detective Wallace went back to the most important piece of evidence he had, the homemade garrote. The dowels didn't match the broomstick found in the Bradford's garage, but what about the wire? When Detective Wallace searched Doug Bradford's mother's home, he couldn't help but notice the many oil paintings on the walls. When he asked about them, Mrs. Bradford, a woman now in her 80s, told the detective they were her paintings. She was the artist. Looking at the back of the paintings, Detective Wallace discovered the same type of wire used to hang the artwork that had been used in the garage. Consulting numerous art supply stores, the detective learned that the wire was a grade number one, eight-strand braided wire, and it turned out to be extremely rare. Douglas Bradford had used materials lying around in his parents' garage to fashion the garage he used to kill Lynn. Finally, in May of 2009, 30 years after her screams pierced a quiet summer night, Douglas Bradford was arrested and charged with Lynn Knight's murder. Back in Ontario, Lynn's sister Donna and the rest of the Knight family were ecstatic. But their hopes for long-awaited justice were soon sidelined when Douglas Bradford hired famed criminal lawyer Robert Shapiro who had helped win an acquittal for O.J. Simpson nearly 20 years earlier. Shapiro wasted no time in getting his client released on a million-dollar bail and papering the court with motion after motion in an attempt to get the case thrown out before it went to court. And while his motions were denied, each one took time, and five years went by before the trial of Douglas Bradford began. Finally, in July 2014, the Knight family, Donna, her brother, and her father, walked into a Los Angeles courtroom to face the man accused of the brutal murder of their beloved Lynn. Lynn's mother, Lillian, had died in 2005, always hoping that her daughter's murderer would be caught. Flanked by his high-priced legal team, a middle-aged Douglas Bradford showed no emotion as Assistant District Attorney John Lewin outlined the prosecution's case. Lewin took the jury back to the summer of 1979 and described Bradford as an insecure young man who was obsessed with Lynn Knight. But when the beautiful Canadian nurse broke off their relationship after a few months of dating, Bradford stewed according to the prosecutor. He stalked her for days, driving past her home and watching her with other men. Then, on the night August 29th, he snuck into her apartment while she was sleeping. 
with a homemade garrote fashioned out of two wooden dowels and picture-hanging wire. He tried to strangle Lynn. But when Lynn fought back, he used a knife to cut her femoral artery and stab her more than 15 times. Then, as Lynn lay dying, he ripped the necklace he had given her from around her neck and crumpled the wedding invitation and threw it in the garbage. He had been uninvited to Lynn's sister's wedding, and now he was making sure Lynn would not be attending either. Over the next few weeks, the prosecution called over 20 witnesses, including several sailing experts who gave their opinion on Doug Bradford's alibi on the night of the murder. They all agreed that it was highly improbable that he took a 30-foot sailboat out alone late at night and paddled it back to shore. It made no sense. The defense also called a former boyfriend of Lynn's who had reconciled with her just before her murder. He told the jury about being at Lynn's apartment one day when Doug Bradford stopped by to return a lamp he had borrowed from Lynn. But when Doug saw her with another man, he became extremely hostile, calling Lynn a whore and throwing the lamp at her. While Doug Bradford gave off the appearance of a mild-mannered guy, there was another side to his personality that he rarely revealed to others. When it came time for Lynn's sister Donna to testify, she stared directly at Douglas Bradford. Donna spoke about Lynn's passion for her new California lifestyle and how she loved her work with premature babies. During her brief time in California, Lynn had made a big impression on people, and Donna recalled how many friends, work colleagues, and old boyfriends had reached out to the Knight family after Lynn's murder. But there was one person they never heard from, Douglas Bradford. When it came time for the defense, Robert Shapiro was prepared. He had already announced that this would be his last trial, and he planned to go out winning. Shapiro began his argument by stating the obvious. This was a 35-year-old murder case with no direct evidence implicating his client. There were six sets of fingerprints found at the scene, but none belonged to his client. Blood found at the scene, no match to his client, and DNA taken from semen samples, again, no match to his client. And as for the wire used in the garrote, the prosecution could not prove beyond a doubt that it was the same wire used to hang Doug's mother's paintings. To confirm Doug Bradford's alibi, Shapiro had hired an expert sailor to demonstrate how the same type of boat could be paddled and maneuvered by one man. A video was played for the jury, but the prosecution quickly pointed out that the reenactment had taken place in a calm harbor close to shore and not out in open water on the Pacific Ocean, which would have been much more difficult. Shapiro's elaborate demonstration had backfired. In his closing arguments, 
Assistant DA John Lewin told the jury that it was time that Douglas Bradford paid for what he had done to Lynn Knight. He is a murderous monster, said Lewin, and he needs to be held accountable. The six-week trial had been difficult for Donna Knight Wigmore and her family, but they were hopeful that the jury members had listened to all the evidence and had not been swayed by the charms of celebrity lawyer Robert Shapiro. But three long days would pass before the jury finally announced that they had reached a verdict. On August 14, 2014, despite the mostly circumstantial evidence, the jury found Douglas Bradford guilty of first-degree murder. Bradford's famous attorney, Robert Shapiro, was conspicuously absent to hear the verdict. Yes, yes, Donna yelled out, sitting next to her brother, an 84-year-old father. They had waited 35 years, almost to the day, to hear those words. And she had never given up the hunt for her sister's killer. Later, standing outside the courtroom, the private family from Stratford, Ontario, spoke to reporters. Choking back tears, Lynn Knight's 62-year-old brother praised the investigators and prosecutors that had finally put his sister's killer behind bars. Every day I think about Lynn, he said. Jurors in the case filed out of the courtroom past reporters without commenting, but several stopped to shake Donna's hand and express their condolences. We've had this big stone on our chest and hearts. It's never gone away, she said, but it's over now. Four months later, on December 12, 2014, 62-year-old Douglas Bradford was back in the same courtroom wearing a prison jumpsuit and handcuffs while Lynn's sister Donna addressed the court. She talked about her big sister and how the whole family was so excited about Lynn coming home from California for Donna's wedding in the fall of 1979. But instead, the family had gathered for Lynn's funeral. A few weeks later, Donna, her brother, and father traveled to California to clean out Lynn's apartment. Donna said she would never forget the image of the blood-soaked mattress and the smell of death. I have cried an ocean of tears, said Donna. Before sentencing, Douglas Bradford was asked if he had anything to say. Lynn Knight's murder was a terrible tragedy, he began. But I did not murder Lynn Knight, he loudly proclaimed. I am an innocent man, wrongly convicted. I am mad as hell that I am paying for someone else's crime. Douglas Gordon Bradford was sentenced to 26 years to life. He lived a life he shouldn't have, said District Attorney Lewin. It is 30 years too late, but it is the best we could do.
This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.